I appreciate the um, good humble prayer by dear brother Paul and ask that you continue to pray as I stand before you today. Um, in an introductory remark, um, I love the last song that we just sang, um, Did You Think to Pray? It's the devil's trick that he would put into our minds to think that prayer does not make a difference. Um, you can't sing that song without saying, I've been there at verse 1, I've been there at verse 2, I've been there at verse 3. There's been times that we've been angry and we've needed to pray about that anger. There's been times that we've needed to forgive and we needed to pray for that forgiveness. Um, there's been times where we've been joyful and we've um, felt a little bit too haughty in ourselves and we've needed to be brought down. Um, but suffice to say that from that song, it's very obvious to see that you need prayer in all circumstance, the Bible actually says to pray without ceasing. And like we mentioned before, it's the devil's trick. And let's not confuse this. The devil is the, um, a lie and the father of lies. You know, it just points it flat out right there. He is the father of lies. He does wants to do nothing but to deceive and to breed um, things that would deceive you. And for us to think in our minds that prayer does not work, that prayer does not make a meaningful difference in our lives would be to shorten the hand of God. Amen. Because when we pray, we are talking to God the Father himself. We are talking to the one who has never done anything wrong, who continues to do things perfectly and will forever do things perfectly. So next time that you pray and you feel that that is not making a meaningful difference, that you feel that prayer is not changing your night, maybe your night is within broad daylight outside. Um, it doesn't have to be dark outside for you to be in a night season. But the Lord brings you through that night. Um, the Bible says, though weeping endure for a night, joy cometh in the morning. And it's that sentiment that we want to talk about to you today. Um, our text is found in Psalms chapter 27. Um, focusing on verse 13 and 14. Um, but because I love this psalm so much, I want to read the whole thing to you. Um, but we want to talk about verses 13 and 14. Psalms 27 verse 1 reads, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, come upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise up against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, he shall set me upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, seek my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not my face far from thee. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. 
When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Lead me in a plain path. Because of mine enemies, deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. Here's our verses. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You pray for me that the Lord would have this message to be of him. So when we read that psalm, it's impossible to see it's impossible not to see that David has great confidence in in his Lord. It's been impossible to see that the Lord has not gone routine, or that David has not gone routinely to the Lord in the time of trouble. And you see this close relationship between God and David, just simply how David talks to the Lord. We should have that as well in our prayers. You know, it shouldn't, prayer should not be something that is just simply routine for us and we kind of, you know, roll through the motions as it were we are talking to the Lord we are bringing our petition to the Lord that doesn't mean that you're not careful in what you say you always address the Lord as the most high Um, many of my friends and very well meaning do not address the Lord sometimes in their prayer in their prayers in a respectful manner we we do not say anything like daddy God that is I'm just going to point blank out say that that is not respectful that's not addressing our savior how he should be addressed he is the most high. He's God in the heavens and God over all this, all this earth. He is our friend. He is our savior. He is the one that loves us more than he loves anything else. But we should address the Lord in a respectful manner. And here we see David addressing the Lord in a respectful manner. But the point of these verses that we just brought towards you in verse 13 and 14, David says, I have fainted unless I believe to see the good to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. When we think about the, those times in our lives where we would have fainted, when we think about those times where we don't necessarily see the Lord like we feel like we should see Him, um, in those times there is a reliance on the Lord that, if you allow me to say it like this, it's needed to be greater than any other time. You see, we understand faith as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and we understand that the child of God has faith within them, just as a fruit of the Spirit. But we are also, as children of God, to manifest that faith. It's not just something that we say, hey, look, there's a child of God over there, and he's just going to manifest all the faith that he needs to manifest to praise the Lord the best that he possibly can. No, you have to focus on manifesting that faith. And faith is something that you can embrace, if you will, to serve the Lord better. But pure and undefiled faith does not come from simply saying, I'm going to follow the Lord when those times are good. We've talked about before um, how our purpose here in life is to glorify the name of the Lord. Nothing short of that and nothing more than that. We are to glorify the name of the Lord. Your very existence is a testimony that God is not only real, but God is a real and present creator here in this time. And every blessing that you've received, every 
um, prayer that's changed your night has always been from the Lord. And that has been straight to you. And he's had you in mind when he's done that. But to have real and true faith and placing that faith in the Lord means that we have confidence in him. We have confidence in him even when we feel like the situation is rational not to have confidence in him. Let me give you an example of this. This psalm right here is historically um, said to be written between 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 25. Um, that is a point in David's life when he is on the run away from Saul. He has no certain dwelling place. He doesn't you know, have a certain place to lay his head during, during the night. He doesn't know if he's going to be safe the next day but by the word of the Lord that came to him that said he was going to be king one day. When David wrote this, he was not in a sure place. He was not in a place where he could objectively say, from man's own hand, I'm going to be safe the next day. He's not writing this from a certain place and certain perspective where he can see with his earthly eyes that I'm going to be the king over the kingdom of Israel one day and everything's going to be fine and everything's going to be okay. But yet, when we read this psalm, we don't find a questioning David. We don't find a servant of the Lord that says, woe unto me, I'm, you know, poor pitiful me. Like, I have no idea how this is going to work out. Lord, what do I need to do as the next thing on my to-do list to make this happen? But we do see a man that is resting in the Lord. We do see a man that says, I would have fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Child of God, we have this semblance in our mind of things that we know. In Philippians chapter 1, and in verse 21, um, the apostle writes this. In verse 18, starting in a little bit of context, he says, What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and supply the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I should be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or whether it be by death. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Hope, child of God, is an earnest expectation. It's not a wish, it's a sure thing. David said, I believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And he said, I would have fainted unless I believed that child of God. The reason I just read that to you was to illustrate this point. We have dying grace as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that in this life, when we breathe our last breath, that we can literally see the Lord. That he's going to take us home to be with him one day in eternal bliss where nothing's ever going to be wrong. Where we're going to praise him perfectly until time is no more. There's no problem in heaven like there's problems here. And we see to die is gain. We believe that. We hold that very closely to us and it's a sweet semblance of faith 
to think about when we look at our loved ones as they pass on. We here are alive and remain, and one day we're going to be called up to see the Lord. But when we look at those that die in this life, they don't die suffering. They die in grace because the Lord is receiving those people into himself to bring them in a place of close fellowship with him. That's what heaven is. It's eternal fellowship with God unhindered by sin. It's glorious, but that's not the only point of this verse. It says to live is Christ. There is hope in this life. There is hope that we're going to see Christ again. There is hope that one day the night is going to end and we're going to be able to surpass that point. Is there still going to be sin in this world? Yes, there's still going to be sin in this world. But any fellowship with God that we find here, we find that prisons and pa- that prisons become palaces. It's a beautiful place to have fellowship with the Lord anywhere. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And Paul tells us that that's something that we shouldn't be ashamed of. Even when in those times that we don't find a certain dwelling place or we feel like this night might be our last night, I understand that we don't go through persecution like David did. I pray that that day never come. The Lord has shielded us in a national way that that would not come unto us. And we need to pray that that would continue to be and that his word would be upheld, that the truth of Jesus Christ would be upheld, and that we as a nation of people would turn back to him as the one who has given us true liberty. In this life, you see the Apostle Paul, when he said, stand fast in the liberty whereof Christ has made you free, he was not experiencing national liberty there. His actual objective circumstance was someone's about to kill me, <laughs> was someone's running up on me right now and would like to see my head on a plate because of what I say. But yet he finds the words to say liberty. They stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. And you know what that tells me, child of God? That you can be a prisoner on the outside but be a free man on the inside. And like, it, like in that way, you can be a prisoner on the inside and be free on the outside. Who's the one that sets you free in your mind? It's Jesus. It's the knowledge of him saying that you don't have to do anything for your eternal salvation. It's the knowledge of him saying that he's going to take care of you through every situation in life. Even if you die in this life, to die is gain. To live is Christ. I would have fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Let's consider the life of David here for a second. Who was David? He was a frail little shepherd boy. His brothers, when Samuel the prophet came to anoint him king, while Saul was still king, mind you, um, David would not have been his first choice. In fact, David wasn't even at his father's house when Samuel came to anoint the king. You know where David was? He was out tending the sheep. Now, David is described as a man after God's own heart, and I believe there's many reasons for that. But you think about this. A man of God, a prophet of God, is coming to anoint someone a king. And visitors in that day, you know, I still think visitors are a pretty big deal when they come to my house. I love to see you walk in the door. I want to give you some food. I want to make sure you, that you're at home. I just, I just like visitors. But even in that time, visitors were a really big deal when they came by. You know, it was, you put on, put on a show for them, kind of, right? But you see, David's not anywhere to be found when Samuel comes to visit his father Jesse's house. Where is David? He's off tending the sheep. 
Pastors, preachers, are akin to shepherds in many ways because the Lord's people are akin to sheep in many ways. David is going to become king one day. He's a man after God's own heart. He's going to lead the nation of Israel. What is David more concerned with in this moment than being crowned king, than being anointed king? He's concerned with the sheep. Child of God, who is the great shepherd of the sheep? Who is the one that has said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? Jesus is more concerned with you as his sheep than he is with all the other things that he would have had glory in in this world. He's more concerned with you. He's more concerned with your well-being. He's more concerned with how he tends to you. And so was David at that time. David was a humble man. David was a really small fella. And when his big, you know, um, event was where he kind of came on the scene just so far as in a national way was with David and Goliath where he had this insurmountable object against him that he could not defeat in a natural way but God blessed him to defeat him. God, David knew that the spirit of the Lord needed to be with him and he knew that he needed the Lord to get past all these different objects in his life if he was to triumph. In that aspect, he believed that he would have fainted unless he believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This man knew what it meant to rely on the Lord. And even in the places where he fell short, he still went to the Lord when he had truly fainted in this life. There will never be a perfect child of God. I want you you to know that. In this life, there will never be anyone that does everything completely perfectly in this life. David was described as a man after God's own heart. He committed a gross sin with Bathsheba. He was judged for that. And I'm going to tell you this, child of God. God is faithful to deliver you out of temptations. He's faithful to give you good things in this life. But he is also faithful to judge. And he judged David. For that sin that he committed with Bathsheba. But I'm going to tell you what, child of God, even in that judgment, even within that chastisement, the Lord is not treating you like an outcast. The Lord is not treating you like a criminal. He's treating you like a child because in the same way that um, a man will discipline his son or his daughter for doing something wrong because he loves them. You see, true love is not bound up in how many good things that you can give someone. That's more akin to bribery than it is true love. True love is bound up in what is best in the situation. It's not to say I'm going to give you what you want simply because what you want simply because you just want it, it means that I'm going to give you what is best. I'm going to give you what you need because I love you. And that's what the Lord did with David in this circumstance. And I'm going to tell you what, David knew something about dying grace too. Because when his little child died, he spent weeks in mourning over that. And when the child finally actually had died, excuse me, the weeks of mourning were spent before the child had died, Died, But when the child actually died, he took off his mantle and he went out as business as normal. That's kind of a weird sight, isn't it? When David's child died, he took off his mantle, he put it aside him, and he went out and he did his kingly duties. And his servants and all the people that were under him came and said, like, what's wrong? <laughs> it seems like you should be mourning right now more than you were than before he died. And David had this semblance when they came back. He said, essentially, that the deed is done. But he had this confidence. 
that I will go to him. David's child was already in heaven. And David knew that. And he found grace in that even in this life. David, in a place where he would have fainted normally in this life, he found joy and he found the Amen. goodness of right. the Lord in the land of the living. Amen. Moving on from David. We have the example of Elisha. In James chapter 5, and in verse 17, reads this. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. That means he was a man. That means he had sins. That means he had things that beset him just like you and me do. Amen. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed. You see that theme of prayer again earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. You're talking about a man that needed to wait on the Lord. Elias was one of them. And we see even in these two great characters of faith, David and Elias, that they were men that slipped up. They were men that sinned, and they were men that sinned in obvious ways. And I'm going to tell you what, child of God, like we said before, there's no perfect child of God. But these men, relying faithfully on the Lord, found the goodness of the Lord again, even in that dark night where they didn't think they were going to find him again. Now, here's how Elijah came on the scene. He came on, he came on the scene in Scripture in 1 Kings chapter 17, where there was a great trial of faith, if you were, of, a, of the prophets of Baal and of the true God of the Israelites. The Israelites as a nation seemed to turn away from God as they so often did and went and served idols. And there came a time where the wicked king Ahab and his wife Jezebel came to, came to Elijah and they were plaguing him over these things. They were saying, this is not the true God. Let Baal be our God. And Elijah brought up the option to basically say, let's hash this out once and for all. And they declared that there was going to be a time where Baal, the prophets of Baal, would bring their sacrifice and pray over it. And, you know, the true God, the God of Israel, would bring his sacrifice and we would see which God took the sacrifice. And we would see who the true God was from that. You know who Elijah stood with? No soul. He stood alone in front of about 400 or 450 prophets of Baal. Do you think Elijah felt alone? He didn't act like he was alone. He was very bold in this circumstance. The prophets of Baal all morning for hours and hours cried up to their godless entity that they had created in their own mind, this idol, and said, oh, Baal, hear us. They weren't talking to anything. But once Elijah prayed, and I, I want to get this prayer because it's too good to miss. He says in 1 Kings chapter 18, in verse 36, it says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. And that I am thy servant, 
and that I have done all these things at thy word. He wasn't rebelling. He wasn't being someone that was a prisoner to his own will. He was simply doing what the Lord said. He said, hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again also. Then fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice. You are essentially, objectively, one man against these 400. What, are the, what does that seem like in earthly odds? That doesn't seem like it should work out, but yet by the strength of God Almighty, this one man prayed to him and the Lord sent fire down from heaven. That's amazing. And the fire um, licked up the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is the God. He is God and God alone. A great Amen. revival happened in Israel that day because one man remained faithful unto the Lord. The prophet said what Jesus said to say. He didn't go by his own um, agenda as it were. He said what the Lord said. And that's enough, child of God. If you ever think that you have a better way than what the Lord has, you need to reconsider because the Lord's ways are always the best ways. If the Lord has given a message on your heart, as the Lord has conv convinced you to do a certain thing for somebody, maybe he's um, communica communicating with you to call a certain person. Maybe he's communicating with you to pray for a certain person. Whatever that may be, child of God, you trust that. If the Lord is communicating something in his word to do that you are not doing, the, Lord of, the word of the Lord is correct. We are the incorrect ones because we are fallible. There's never been anything wrong with how the Lord gave his word, with what the Lord said, but there is something wrong sometimes with how we hold those things. Amen. We need to listen to him. We need to conform our lives to him. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, not conform to what we would have done, not conform to the image of this world, transform to what he would have us Amen. to do. So this great prophet, after this victory that we see over the prophets of Baal, what happens? The wicked king Ahab and Jezebel come after Elijah and say essentially by the end of the day you are going to be just like all these 400 dead prophets that were slain by the children of Israel after the Lord had this great victory. And now Elijah was on the run. He was on a run for his life. This man with such great faith that had seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, supernatural miracles that happened right here that he could not have ever done that he saw with his own eyes. Amen. Now he's on the run. The Lord finds him in that forest. And every day for 40 days, he gives him food. And he doesn't give him food on a silver platter delivered by one of the good children of Israel. He doesn't do it like that. He sends it by a raven. Again, this would never happen in life. This would be an impossibility unless the Lord's hand was there with him. And he sent a cruise of water that he would have drink and sustenance in that time. And the Lord literally says... Here in 1 Kings chapter 19, 
after he finds Elijah in a cave, after he's had his 40th meal. And in verse 9 of 1 Kings chapter 19, it says, And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Child of God, the number one thing that the devil is going to try to do in your life when you are cast down is to make you feel alone. The number one thing that he is going to try to do is make you feel like that there is no one that's like you in this life, that you can't talk to anybody, that you, that your prayers are not heard. That's what the devil tries to do, and that's all that he can do in his life. He cannot touch the new man inside of you. He cannot touch your eternal home. He is a defeated being, but I'm going to tell you, child of God, you need to watch out because he's stronger than you. Amen. The devil does not seek to do a little bit of bad in your life. He walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to devour your faith in this life. He wants you to walk around full of doubt. He wants you to make you feel alone, but you know who's the remedy for all of that. The Lord tells us right here. Verse 11 in 1 Kings chapter 19, and he said, Go forth and stand upon the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and, great and strong rent, wind, excuse me, and rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a mantle and went out and stood before the entering of the cave. What happens when you are in doubt? What happens when you are cast down? How does the Lord speak in those times? And the answer is he can speak any way that he wants to speak. But how did he speak to Elijah in this time? He saw a great and mighty wind. This is like a tornado or something like that came over to this mountain and it just blew everything that was around. Now we understand that the Lord was not in this wind, but I believe that the Lord caused this wind to happen. It, he was not speaking to Elijah through this wind, but he caused it to happen. And in this great and powerful, mighty rushing wind that came by, Elijah's just standing here and he's just watching it. And if that wasn't enough, the Lord sent an earthquake and the rocks around him just pulled apart. Now, we've created devices here on earth that can split rocks, but there was nothing to that point that could ever split rocks is officially what we have right now. The Lord just said, boom. He said, Elijah, look at this power. And then he sent a fire. And the fire was everywhere around the mountain. And you wonder how the prophet didn't get burned up. How did he ever just not fall into that canyon that the earthquake created? How was he not carried away by the wind? God was trying to get a point across. He's saying, I'm more powerful than the winds of this world. I'm more powerful than the earthquakes of this world. I'm more powerful than Ahab. I'm more powerful than Jezebel. I'm more power than the lies that are told to you by Satan. I'm more powerful than Satan himself because he's under my feet right now. I'm more powerful than sin, Satan, hell, and death. I have them under me. But how does the Lord talk to you? How does he talk to Elijah? 
in a steel, in a stable, in a small voice. Think about that, child of God. He that made the rocks rip. He that made a tornado come through here. He that caught a hole. Didn't catch him a whole mountain on fire. He sent fire to a whole mountain. He who just said, and this world was here. No questions asked. Light is subject to him. The elements are subject to him. He moved across the face of this water. And God said, we always need to pay attention when the Bible says God said, let there be light. And guess what? Because the elements are subject to him. The sun is subject to him. Everything is subject to him. There was light. But how did God communicate to old Elijah? In a still and in a small voice. He could have come in the wind. He could have come in the earthquake. He could have come in the fire, but he didn't. You know why? For the children of God, for the people of God, he doesn't have to come in those places because we have seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Amen. He simply had to point back and say, Elijah, I was there when you had bread. I was there when I gave you drink. I was there when the prophets of Baal came up against you and religion was tried in that day. And I sent forth fire out of heaven. I was there in all of those places. Look back at those places. Child of God, what does it mean when it says to wait on the Lord? Wait on the Lord. I say wait on the Lord. We don't wait for the Lord. We wait on the Lord. Amen. If we were waiting for the Lord, I would be standing around whenever I was anxious and just pacing, you know, just like wondering, like, when is he going to when is he going to be here? Like, what, what do I do right now, Lord? What's the next thing on my to do list? We don't do that. We wait in faith. We wait knowing we wait understanding that not only does the Lord have the ability to solve any little problem in our life that we have relative to him, but that he will in his good time. The goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We believe that we will see that. Amen. One last verse in James chapter 5. Before we close, there's another man that we want to cover here in Scripture speedily if we can. James chapter 5 and in verse 11. Behold, we count them happy, which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that he is very pitiful and full of tender mercies. To my knowledge, there is no man in Scripture that suffered like Job did. It's my belief that there will never be another man that suffers like that man did until time is no more. You think about what happened to him in the course of what was probably minutes. He was told that his home was gone. He was told that his family is all killed. He was told that all of his livestock, all of his livelihood was simply just taken away. One after another after another. It took minutes. Yet, what was Job's response? The Lord had given the Lord hath taken away. Blessed 
be the name of the Lord. And what do we learn from that child of God? The Lord does not owe us anything. The Lord does not owe us all the blessings that he has, that he has around us, but he sovereignly gives us those things. It is of his goodness that we are not consumed. Um, Lamentations chapter 3, it talks about um, from the rising of the sun to the setting down of it, great is thy faithfulness. It is of the Lord's compassions that we are not consumed. We would be just to be so because of our sins. It would be so easy for the Lord to just simply say, go away for me to never see you again. But he does not do that. And child of God, all the suffering that Job went through, all the suffering that you go through in your life, whatever you're experiencing right now, the song says mixtures of joy and sorrow I daily do pass through. That's a middle roller coaster every day that we go through. It's part of being a person, and it's okay just so long as you rest all of those anxieties on the Lord. As long as you take your yoke upon Him and learn of me, for He is meek and lowly in heart. What does the apostle say? He says, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Does that mean that, you know, one day out of the week that we come here with our big, you know, banker box of all of our cares and anxieties and just go, Voom. that's not how it works. Casting is a continual thing. Casting is something that you have to do every day. Casting is something that you might even have to do every minute or every second. Just because we need the Lord to be that present with us. The song, um, Ere You Left Your Room This Morning, Did You Think to Pray? It covers those things like um, forgiveness and anger and those times where our hearts are felt in deep sorrow. What happens when we're in those times? We continually go to the Lord. We continually put those things on, them, on Him. Lord, I feel scared on this. Lord, please help me. Lord, I'm concerned about this person. Please help them over and over and over and over and over again. The Lord hears those things. He keeps those prayers close to them, close to him, and he will help you, child of God. Somehow, sometimes it's not exactly how we want it to happen. Sometimes our to-do list becomes how we feel that the Lord must answer our prayers, and that's never the case. Every prayer that we ever pray should always be prayed with thy will be done. You know why? Because his will is the best will. But we have heard of the patience of Job. Even in these trying times where he lost everything, and for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time, he was comforted by three miserable comforters that said, Job, all you've done to bring this on you is something wrong. Now, if you'll just fess up to what you've done, all of this bad stuff will go away. It sounds like they were preaching a prosperity gospel, doesn't it? It, sound, it sounds like someone would come up to me, and if they found me in a deep, dark place in life, that they would just say, John Mark, if you would just confess the sin that you've done, you would get out of this deep, dark place. You would get all of your livestock back, and everything would be okay. That's not how it works, child of God. The fact that Job found him in this deep, dark place was nothing to do with what he had, with what he had done. It was the devil's doing that he found himself here. It wasn't because he did something bad, even though these three men thought that he was. And you think about the patience that it takes for that man, me and Job, to endure all of these comments, all of these accusations 
that he was going through and still have the patience to hear all of that, to still have the cheerful endurance to hear all of that and being mindful that the Lord is very pitiful even in this circumstance. Child of God, Job had something to rejoice in. Even though it wasn't his present circumstance right now, he was, he was still alive, number one. But the fact that he knew that his Redeemer stood and would be there at the last day and after even the skin worms destroy his body, Job recognized that he was a part of something that was more important than life itself, that was bigger than this life. And he said, that's where my Redeemer stands. That's what I joy in right now. And even though I'm in such a sorrowful state here, even though it's so bad right now, I'm convinced that I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord one day. Does it sound like our brother Job was waiting on the Lord? He was. Amen. But we think about even the flaws that Job had in this situation. Like I mentioned, there's never ever, there's never ever going to be a perfect child of God. But we look here in Job 28. Well, that's not it. I'm sorry. Job 38. Excuse me. There finally came a point after the three miserable comforters had accused Job of something that he was not um, accusable for where he had had enough with it. There came a point in Job's suffering where he did charge God foolishly. And he, said, and he said to the Lord, you've caused all this to happen to me, wrongfully so, I might add. And he started essentially just showing us through his words how righteous he truly was. And how he didn't deserve to be going through what he was going through because he's good and he shouldn't be going through these bad things. Here's how the Lord responds to him. In Job chapter 30, 38 and then verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge. Child of God, one of the most comforting things that we can think about in just this realm of life is the fact that we know nothing like the Lord knows it. Amen. The Lord is sovereign in all things. He is so much higher than we will ever be. But He cares for you. He has put His life literally died for you, child of God. There's nothing more precious than a man's life. And he gave it for you. One whose knowledge is so high, one whose intelligence just passes eternity. We don't, we can never fathom what the Lord knows. And he cares for you. And when we rest on his wisdom, there's no higher wisdom than we can rest on. But, he, but the Lord says this of Job, who is this that darkeneth counsel, Job? You're not thinking right. Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare it if thou hast understanding. He's saying, say it if you know. Who hath laid the measures thereof if thou knowest? Who hath stretched the line upon it? Where, whereupon 
Are the foundations thereof fastened, or who hath laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut up the sea with doors when it brake forth, as if it had been issued out of the womb? And it tends to go on there for verses and verses of the Lord saying, Look what I did here. Do you even know how I did it? Look what I did here. Do you understand the power that's there? Do you understand that the love that I have for you, that's, that's all there, and I'm the one that loves you? He's saying, Job, I understand that you're going through a troubled time. I understand that these things are mounting up as insurmountable to you. But Job, where were you when I did all of these things? You were still a little man. You weren't even there at these times. The Lord is very pitiful and full of mercies. From Job's accusations to the Lord, it would have been just for him, just just so far as a courtroom standpoint goes, that he had transgressed the Lord, and he and Job would have been forsaken. The Lord would have moved away from him for those accusations that he made toward the Most High. But at this point, we see that the Lord is very pitiful Amen. and full of tender mercies. The Lord not only doesn't forsake Job, but he grants him back all the things that he lost. You think about that child of God. The points in our lives where we found ourselves, where we've been just like Job. Maybe it was a hard, maybe it was a hard time for us, but we've accused, laid false accusations maybe toward the Lord that shouldn't have been there. Maybe we've, maybe we've sinned against him in some way. Maybe we found ourselves in a bad way as we always do sometimes. The Lord is very pitiful and full of tender mercies to grant you exact, not only exactly what you need, but far more than you need. Amen. You look around you, child of God. The freedom that we have in this nation the love that's around us and the people that we know, the truth that we know, the Word of God before us every day and Jesus present in it, His Spirit that comforts us through our lives and one of the names of our God is the God of all comfort who comforts us in every trouble by the comfort wherewith we may comfort one another. That comforts for you, but it's also for those around you. Amen. The Lord is very pitiful and full of tender mercies. That pity is towards you, child of God. Though we are so frail, though sometimes we don't know whether to turn to the right or to the left, you wait on the Lord, child of God. For whatever night that you find yourself in, you understand if you are not going to faint, you believe that you will see the goodness of the Lord yet again. In the land of the living. That is a promise, child of God. It's not only for the hereafter. It's for here and now. Amen. His goodness endures forever. God bless you. Amen.